0: The Book of Acts, Chapter Two. In the Book of Acts, in Chapter Two, working through um, the Book of Acts, uh, this study today. Uh, have you ever overstudied for a test? I, I don't know if you know what that means. I haven't overstudied to teach, but but there is so much that comes into this. There's so much uh, background. There's so much studying. So many different things that um, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to. To make things clear and by his grace to be able to teach through this and we're not going to get through the whole chapter today because uh, Acts chapter 2 is one of the foundational chapters in all of the Bible Uh, When you consider the foundation of God pouring out His spirit on the church uh, The beginning of the church what the church looked like um, All of that this morning is what we are going to to look through but I want to begin this morning With looking at the baptism with the holy spirit and I want to start in the book of matthew So if you have a bible turn to the book of matthew chapter 3 We're going to look at a few different scriptures this morning If you don't have a bible, there are some on the backs of the seats and you could follow along with us and um, As we begin I've already done this um, As we've gone through other passages before but I know that in our church Uh, there's a lot of different backgrounds. Uh, Some of us came from Catholic backgrounds. uh, Some came from um, Baptist churches. Some came from Pentecostal charismatic churches. And so when it comes to Acts chapter 2, there are so many different uh, preconceived notions uh, that that are read into it. So I think it's important that we just look at um, just this concept and, and this teaching of what this means and, and what it is and i want to begin in matthew chapter 3 because um when when john uh was explaining his baptism he was explaining that there was going to be a different type of baptism and john said this he said i indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than i whose sandals i'm not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly uh, clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John, um, he, he explained that there's going to be one coming after him and we know that that is whom? It's Jesus, okay? When Jesus would come, he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. There was a cleansing uh, effect that would happen, but um, there was also this, understanding that it was going to be um, something that they were to anticipate. Well, we read on in verse 13. This is the baptism of Jesus. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had... Been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I want to look at a few of the similarities between what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 and the baptism of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 3. Because when we read of this baptism with the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we're going to see is that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is to empower us, not only to live a godly life, to follow Jesus, but really empower us for service. Jesus's baptism happens right here before he begins his public ministry. This is the only time that we see in scripture that the Spirit of God descended like a dove upon him. And so we see that there's this, a public proclamation there's also a, a voice from heaven this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and i think that there was also a confirmation to those that were there that that truly god was doing something the father was doing something in jesus and, and god the father was pleased in jesus empowering him um, coming upon him uh, pleased with him now Take that in mind and kind of tuck that away and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1. Beginning in verse 4. We looked at this last week a little bit more in depth, so I'm not going to go through um, all of these uh, scriptures here, but it says, being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So now... Remember, the book of Acts is after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus commanded them, he said, don't just run out and do something. He said, wait. And wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And in verse 5, for John truly baptized with water. Remember, John said this. He said, I baptize in this way, but but there's one coming after me that will baptize uh, with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He said, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, there was an anticipation again of something that they were waiting for. And then it says in verse six, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority. And then this description in verse eight, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall what be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Last week, we we looked at how in um, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, God empowered them for this service to be witnesses unto him. So the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not just something where a person says, hey, I have this baptism with the Holy Spirit. Look what I could do. Look at what kind of power I have. It's really to be witnesses for Jesus. And we're witnesses by our words and we're witnesses by our actions, right? So when we are witness to someone of Jesus's resurrected life in us, our life kind of matches what we say, hopefully. And the words also match up with scripture. So the things that we say and the things that we do. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order uh, to be those witnesses. Now, as we consider these scriptures, I think that it's important when we consider the baptism with the Holy Spirit that um, they were empowered for service. Uh, I've I've shared before about Gil Irwin when uh, he he talked about bodybuilders. And he talked to this one bodybuilder and, and the guy's just flexing and and uh, Gil Irwin was kind of impressed, and he asked the guy, "Hey, what do you do with all those muscles? Like, what do you do with them?" And and the guy goes, "Well, watch." And he just like yeah, he just flexed. and he goes, "Well, I see that, but what do you do with it?" And the guy goes, mm-hmm. "You know, like he's just, but he's not really like lifting or pushing. He's not he's not like working hard. He's not doing something outstanding. It was more just like look. And and sometimes Christians can see the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that." Like, like, look what I can do. And that's not what it is. It's to be witnesses. So when the Holy Spirit empowers us, it's not just to say, hey, hey, I, I've experienced this, this uh, presence of God in my life. It's to display that presence of God as we're serving him because as we see in the book of Acts, this is all about God's spirit working through God's people to accomplish God's work. The next thing that we could see in Scripture is that those who received the baptism with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and you're going to see in other places as well, they were certain about it. And let me just say this. If the Holy Spirit is real, and if he is alive and well, and the Holy Spirit is active and working in your life, should there be a difference in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Jesus explained that he was the he's going to be the helper, the Holy Spirit, the helper. In fact, Jesus said it's good that I go away because if I do not go away, the helper will not come. And I just think that it's important that we just don't gloss over that that the the baptism with the Holy Spirit, whenever we read about it in scripture, um those that received that were certain about it. And let me also say this that the sealing of the Holy Spirit when when We are regenerated upon being born again, upon the the rebirth. You know something happened to you, right? It's not a, well, I hope something happened to me. It's you know in your heart, you know in that testimony of the Spirit that something has happened in your life. In fact, you probably started to see people differently. When you read the Bible, it started to mean different things. When you started to hear someone teach the Bible, uh, all of a sudden it was united with not just just information, but transformation. You were hungry. There was a conviction. There was a desire for the things of God. There was a desire for prayer. There was a desire to open up the Word of God and read it. Something happened in, in your life when the Holy Spirit regenerated you. And the same thing is true with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now let me also say this. That... It's distinct from regeneration in Acts chapter 2. The apostles and the disciples, they're there. And and remember when Jesus breathed on the apostles and and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, they were regenerated. They were were born again at that point in time. In this distinct um, action of the Holy Spirit, sometimes it happens simultaneously when a person is born again. And there are other times as we go through the book of acts that we're going to look at that it happened after That that Regeneration and being born again And and we're going to see what that looks like and what that means, but it's important to know that That here we see they're already born again and they're waiting for this baptism with the holy spirit and then It was for mission and for service It was for mission and service now They were to wait because this was the gift of the holy spirit the promise of the father given to the church But now that the holy spirit has come do we have to wait the same way? No so the question is What are we waiting for? And and we're going to look at acts chapter 2 and this morning. I think that it's important that We just look at scripture And let's just allow the holy spirit and just say god teach me and help me to be open to this because There are many different godly, and I say godly, Bible teachers that teach different things about this. And in those uh, teachings at times, sometimes depending upon your background, and and usually it was your your first experience in church that you think that's the right way, That's, that's the right thing. Sometimes it can become easy to judge other people that have different views of a scripture and how the Holy Spirit works in a person's life. So, in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all uh, with one accord and in one place. Now, remember this. um, There was the Feast of Passover. That was that Friday to Saturday. It commemorated the Exodus when the children of Israel fled Egypt. Remember, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And because he wouldn't, um, God sent these plagues. And as the plagues came, that the last plague... Uh, as Pharaoh hardened his heart was it was the plague of death, and the angel of death was going to come, and every household that did not have the blood of a lamb on the lentils and the the doorposts um, in that house, the firstborn would be would be killed. But if the blood was over the doorposts and the lentils, then the angel of death would pass over that house and that 's why it was called Passover. Now, what happened historically? On Passover at the time of Christ, what happened? Jesus died for our sins. The blood of Christ covered us. Therefore, that is our Passover in a sense, where where the judgment of God passes over us when when God sees the blood of Christ that covers us. Now, after the Passover was the feast of uh, there was first fruits. Um, Jesus' resurrection, and then we come to this Feast of Pentecost, which was a a feast that was prescribed by God in Leviticus, uh, chapter 23. It was to celebrate the wheat harvest. And as they celebrated this harvest, it was a harvest festival on a a Sunday, 50 days after the Passover, the Hebrews were to offer a a grain offering to the Lord, um, and this one with, with leavened bread, and there would be two loaves of bread. And, and you look at that, and symbolically now, for us looking back, the two loaves uh, represent the Jews and the Gentiles coming together. So the church, the birth of the church at this time of Pentecost. Now, in the Old Testament, Hebrew tr- tradition tells us that it was at the Feast of Pentecost that they received the law. But here in the New Testament, we see it's at the Feast of Pentecost that the church received the Spirit. Now, I also want to say this. I know for some of you, this is brand new. Maybe you don't have any church background. <laughs> Maybe, you know, you're, you're not even a, a follower of Christ and you're listening. You're going, man, what in the world is this? Well, well, listen, just continue on and ask God to speak to you and to teach you because there are going to be some things in here that uh, are going to blow your mind. And and if you're a Christian, I remember the first time reading this, it kind of blew my mind as well. And And I think that, it should be that way because God was doing something new. Don't read this with, oh, this is that one passage. Read this with an understanding of what this was like for them. Jesus told them to wait. And so Jesus ascended into heaven. And they're to wait for the promise of the Father, this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, do you remember, maybe you're still like this, but when you were a kid, did you ever do a countdown towards Christmas? Um, it just seemed like ten days when Christmas was ten days away. That felt like forever, didn't it? It felt like a long, long time. Um, when I was a teacher, the kids would count down for summer, but they didn't. They didn't know I was counting down way more than that. And they were, you know, they would get the, this this sense of I just can't wait till school's done. I wanted school to be done more than they want. Believe me, when the last bell rang on the last day of school, there was no one in my class that was more excited than me. And so with anticipation, just waiting, and that's hard to wait. That's hard to wait when you know exactly how much time you have. But imagine that you don't know how much time that you have. So imagine that for uh, a couple of days, you're waiting for this promise of the Father. And what does that feel like on day five? What does that feel like on day seven? It's a week. We've been waiting a week. And notice that they continued to wait and they were in one accord and in one place. And I think that's a blessing when God's people wait upon the Lord together like that. They weren't arguing. And notice that, that they're not fighting. They're not, they're not running off. They're still waiting. Because I would wait. If I saw Jesus literally ascend into heaven. I saw that miraculous thing happen. He told me to wait. I would wait. Because until the next thing happens. We're supposed to wait. So they, they waited. In one accord and in one place. And then it says in verse 2. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them at this time, there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It doesn't say that it was windy. It doesn't say that, you know, they started like falling over and things started flying. There was just this sound. And I've heard uh, the sound of, of rushing wind. When Deanna and I went to Wisconsin uh, a few years ago, we were about ready to take a kayak onto this lake. Looked at the clouds and, you know, being from California, I'm not used to weather changing like that. I'm looking at the clouds, and it's getting a little windy, and we're going, you know what? Maybe we, should, we shouldn't we should do this. Maybe we should wait. So we go back into – we stayed at a bed and breakfast. We went back into the bed and breakfast, and a minute later, 100-mile-per-hour gale forces were going through, and tornadoes were touching down around us. And there was a storm that just came like that. And I've heard wind, but I haven't heard wind like that. I mean whoo- – and, you know, the, the fear that grips you as a California kid, you know, and you've never seen anything like that. Well, this wind, they heard this, this sound. Notice that when they hear this sound, um, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then the next thing is that they saw something. First, they heard something. And then the next thing that happened is that they, they saw something. They saw tongues of fire divided upon each one of them. Now, when I read that, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. What, <laughs> tongues of fire. Um, most artistic depictions that I've seen of that are like the, the painting that we have right there is, is that that flame of fire. Maybe that's what it was like. And if you've ever seen that depicted in a painting of the upper room when we're, they're all together, you see the different disciples, you see like the the flame on top of each one of them. And, and I don't know exactly what it looked like, but... But that's kind of what I imagine in in my own mind. And I want want us to consider a couple of things that this teaches us, these pictures that God gives us of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember that in John chapter 3, when Jesus was explaining regeneration, being born again to Nicodemus, he explained being born again. uh, The Holy Spirit is like that. It's like the wind, and you don't know where the wind is blowing and where it's going to next. You can't predict the wind. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we we can get so predictable. Uh, we could get so set in our ways uh, of what to expect at a church service, of what to expect when I pray, of what to expect when I talk to someone about God. and And we could get set in our ways as though... The Holy Spirit is not a win, but the Holy Spirit is a a ruler, or the Holy Spirit is a spreadsheet, or the Holy Spirit is a a measuring cup. Like I could decide exactly what's going to happen. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit works in our lives, there are times that has the Holy Spirit ever come into your life, come upon you in a way that you had no idea? Now I'm going to share one of those things. Um, When I was in China, we went on a missions trip, and it, it was right after the Tiananmen Square Massacre. I don't know if you saw that on the news. Do you remember the army tanks right there? And and we came to China the year after that. I played on a basketball team, and what we did is uh, we smuggled in Bibles. That was a story in and of itself, an amazing thing. Of we smuggled Bibles into China, and, um, and then we played basketball, and we witnessed to people, and we strengthened the missionaries that were there. In one of the cities in, in which we played... Um, we after the after halftime we we did a skit. It was a wordless skit, and we just pointed up and we said him him, and one guy was saying me me, and we're saying this in in Chinese, you know me, and, and the other ones are saying him, and and one at a time, you know the first guy that's saying him gets another guy to say him, and then three guys, and then finally eleven guys are saying him, and one guy says me, and he walks away, and that's how the skit ends, and we just kind of wanted to give them this sense that. You have a choice of whether to worship and follow God or go your own way. And as soon as we were done, the teacher at the school came up to us and said, do you see the guard that is standing over there? The guards are about ready to arrest you and put you in prison. So imagine the panic. I'm 19 years old. I'm in mainland China and, and all this is happening. And I, I remember our leader looked at me and he said, Matt, do something. So he's like, like, what do you want me to do? He's like, Matt, you should do something. So there was a microphone and I walk up to the stadium and and I'm praying and I know that this is the Holy Spirit coming upon me at this particular time because I did something that I never even did as a kid. I hated songs with hand motions as a kid. I was that kid. If you're a Sunday school teacher, I was that kid in the background that didn't want to do it because he thought it was you know, dumb. He thought it was too cool. I was, I was that kid. And I just remember... Being there, and I told everyone in the stadium to stand up, and I said, I'm going to teach you a song. And I uh, had an, an interpreter who was interpreting for me, and I said, everybody do this. I want you to sing with me and, and, and take your hand and put it up and say, you put your right hand in, you put your right hand you put your right hand in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. And so, like, they're just staring at me. And then they start to do it, and then the left hand. And by the end of that song, the, everyone's laughing, the whole stadium, and the guards are the guards are doing the hokey pokey. And then afterwards, everyone's having a great time, and I'm just going, "Where did that come from? Where in the world did that? That didn't come from any missions training manual. That's not like, and if you really get in a bind, do the hokey pokey." The Holy Spirit at that point, it's like the wind. You don't know where he's going. You don't know what he's going to do. And, and you know what? I think that sometimes when it comes to the wind and understanding the power of the wind, the wind is powerful. If you watched America's Cup, what an incredible, incre- I, I've never watched sailing before this last time that it was here. I actually watched it because um, Clyde had told me a little bit about sailing. And, and so I kind of got into it and, and I was watching just the way that they would take off. Wind is powerful. But when you see that the wind would change, all of a sudden they had to tack their sails. And if the wind died, guess what happened? Nothing happened, right? When the wind died, nothing happened. Nothing's moving. And if the Holy Spirit isn't working in our lives, we we have no power. And all we're to do, we're not the power. We're to tack our sails. We're to um, arrange and adjust our lives based on what God is doing not telling God to do certain things, but arranging and changing and making adjustments in our life based on what God is doing. And so the Holy Spirit um, is like a wind. The second thing, they saw tongues of fire divided upon um, each one of them. Wind and fire, they're both unpredictable, and they kind of work together. I'll tell you, I love I love fire. I don't know if it's just a guy thing. Are we all pyros, men? Are you guys all... Do you guys love fires as much as I do? Um, I, I could watch fire forever. I, I love watching fires, making campfires. Um, I remember this ridiculous scene. We did a father-son retreat, and it's just the fathers and, and the, the sons there. And I was just thinking, man, if the moms were here right now, they would be freaking out because our boys are throwing more stuff into the fire and, and like burning stuff. And, and, and fire brings warmth. Fire brings heat. And especially in in a campfire when it's dark, right? Um, That's at the beach. You ever go to the beach and do a bonfire? Those bonfires are the best when it's freezing cold. You get out of the water, it brings heat, it brings warmth. The Holy Spirit does this within our lives. There's a purifying aspect of fire. Remember that the Holy Spirit's name is the Holy Spirit. And part of that fire is a burning away. It's a refinement within our lives. So this is what they heard, and this is what they saw. Now, it says there in verse 5, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. And notice this, it's very key. In verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Now, when it comes to the gift of tongues, this is probably, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, probably the most controversial issue, maybe, may or at least one of them. It's, it's what is this gift and what does it mean? And I think there's three reasons why this gift is controversial in our culture in Christianity today. I think the first thing is is ignorance. Um, when, and, and I don't mean that to be derogatory. I'm just saying that if someone hasn't heard of that or someone doesn't know about it, then, then for them, it becomes a thing of like, I, and it doesn't make sense. I, I haven't heard of that. I think the second thing is experience. If you were raised in a church that is called a, a cessationist church, that's a belief that the sign gifts are not for today. There, there are certain gifts like teaching that's still for today and, and uh, exhortation that's still for today, but a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or the, uh, of speaking in tongues that that's not for today. If that is your experience in church, especially if that's your first experience, then it's likely that you see people at times that have a different experience as being either weird or less biblical or less knowledgeable. Now, if your experience is that you came to Christ in a Pentecostal or charismatic church and your experience was that was normative during a service for people to speak in tongues and sometimes many people to speak in tongues at the same time, and that was just what you knew and that's what you grew up in, then when you see a church that doesn't do that, it's easy to think that they are less spiritual, that they are not filled with the Holy Spirit or they must not be as godly. And notice that sometimes experience can be the barometer by which we judge other believers in Christ. And I want to say that it's important that, that we can agree to disagree on certain things that are not essentials and love one another and have fellowship and, and partner with one another in ministry and realize this, that God works in, in these different ways. And biblically, we need to understand what does it mean. And let me tell you, the third reason I believe for controversy is it's arrogance, and by arrogance, I mean pride sometimes get in, gets in the way. Um, I've heard one, um, there's one Bible teacher, a real, real prominent Bible teacher that just had a conference specifically about these things, about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and basically kind of, he broad brushed a whole segment of Christianity by saying that people that are under the influence of these things and they speak in tongues, and there's these different gifts that happen. He went so far as to say that that strange fire is demonic at times. Now, it, it could be at times if someone is not biblical and not saved and doing these all kinds of weird things, not scripturally. But I think that there's um, an, a, a pride at times that could come in to say, my brand of Christianity is the most spiritual, authentic brand. And if your brand is different, then you must be a little bit lower now, arrogance can come on the other side, like I said before, that if, if your experience is that you have this gift, and you use this gift, and you have this prayer language, then, then it, it could be possible to see people that don't have it as, why don't they have it? it, it did they not ask for it? Did they not have enough faith? Is there there's something wrong? So, so let's look at this um, biblically again. It's going to be kind of a two-part thing that as we look at it. It's very important to understand this in verse 11. It says, after all of these uh, different people from parts of the world, they all heard the disciples. And by the way, the disciples were about 120 at this time gathered together. This was not just the apostles. Some people say, well, just the apostles. No, it's all the disciples. And, and I think that there was a visual representation, which has not happened again in Scripture Where the the tongues of fire sat upon each one? Why do you think that that happened? Now, I, I don't know all the reasons, but I think one of the reasons is because God wanted them to be assured of this, that the Holy Spirit was dwelling in each one of them. Remember when Jesus appeared and disappeared, appeared, disappeared after the resurrection, and they saw him in one place, and then he appeared in another place, it must have been pretty scary for them when he was going away. I wouldn't want Jesus to go away. I would just want him to stay. But he said, it's good that I go away. And I think when they saw that visual representation of the Holy Spirit on each one of them, they realized that that the Holy Spirit was working in each one of them. It wasn't just the apostles. It was all of them. And, And this is what they heard in verse 11. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, Did they hear a message to them? They were speaking the wonderful works of God. They were praising God. And we're going to see later on in uh, 1 Corinthians 12-14 through what this looks like. There are times that people say that the gift of tongues is the ability to speak other languages to preach the gospel. Now, let me say that there is a prayer language that is distinct from that. But God can supernaturally gift someone with language to be able to preach the gospel. Let me give you a great example that many of you know, Theo. Theo is from our church. He is now down in El Salvador. And when Theo went to serve the Lord on the mission field, and he didn't know Spanish, didn't even do well in Spanish in high school, he prayed that God would give him, he read and he said, God, maybe you could give me this gift of understanding Spanish. And he was praying through it and, he went to sleep and, and the next morning he woke up because he was living with a bunch of guys in the same place. And, and he's listening to these two guys and they're talking uh, there. I don't know what they were talking about, but he's listening to them and what they're talking about. And he's like, you know how you're half asleep and you're going, okay, yeah, this guy's going to do this. And this guy, and then all of a sudden the light bulb went on as he was waking up. I understand what they're saying. They are speaking Spanish and I understand their words. And if you hear Theo, when he comes back, he was just back a few months ago, he's fluent. He is fluent. How do you become fluent in Spanish like that when you've never spoken Spanish? And it's a hard subject for you to learn. It's the Holy Spirit that gave him that ability. Now that does happen and that empowers him for service, but that is different than this prayer language also, which um, is a distinct... uh, a distinct gift outside of that. But it says we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So when we look at this, let me explain that the word tongues can be translated as, as languages. And, and I don't know exactly what this looked like. I'm just gonna tell you, I, I don't know exactly what this is like. But imagine in this room right here, how many of you speak more than one language? Raise your hand. I, even if you don't speak it well. Raise your hand. You can understand another language other than English. Okay. So we have some other languages that are here. There's probably some Spanish. Um, what, name your language if it's not Spanish because there's what other ones? French. Okay, what else? German. German. What else? Texan. Te- Texan. <laughs> My wife speaks West Virginian and uh, God gave me the gift of interpretation for that. But um, So imagine this imagine if that were your your language that you understand your home primary language and i'm teaching and all of a sudden you begin to hear me and and i'm saying this other language and you'd be able, you're able to understand it in in your language now again i i don't think that this is that that Peter gets up, and he says in Spanish something, then he says it in German, then he says it in Italian, then he says it in in Cantonese, and man, it's that the Holy Spirit gives them an understanding, because they already had, remember this, did they have a common language at this point in time? Now, the New Testament was written in a language called Koine Greek, the same way that you're listening to this message in English, because it's a, there's different languages here, but the common language is English. But they were surprised because they were able to supernaturally hear them speaking in their own tongues the wonderful works of God. And isn't this a beautiful thing? Because when you consider in Genesis chapter 11, when the people that were on the earth rebelled against God and they said, you know, what? we don't need God. We're going to build this tower up to the heavens and we're going to do things our way. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And they had this common speech. What did God do? he confused their languages and in Genesis chapter 11 this is the point in which God gave them different languages and and they broke off into different areas as well and so you had a people groups that that began speaking in different ways and and it was called babel the tower of babel because they were confused what happens in Acts chapter 2 is a reverse of that is that in the spirit God is bringing this unity and this understanding to them and he reverses what had happened in Genesis uh, chapter 11. Now, again, at the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves, and God scattered them. At Pentecost, because they were all about the name of Jesus, he brought them together. So there is a... a, a oh, also, turn with me to um, read what it says in verse 14. It says... um last minute. Verse 14, but Peter, um, standing up with the 11. So some were mocking them and uh, saying that they were full of new wine. But Peter, in verse 14, standing up with the 11, um, raised his voice. And and notice Peter, who was afraid before. This is the same Peter that was timid. The same Peter that, that when a junior high girl accused him of being one of them, that he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he began to curse and, and deny that he even knew Christ. This same Peter in the midst of people mocking him, stands up and he raises his voice. There's a boldness that takes over. This baptism with the Holy Spirit in Peter's life resulted in Peter in boldness, being able to proclaim and to teach and say this, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, which is about 9 a.m. But notice in verse 16 what he says. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Instead of just looking at the experience and deciding whether or not it was from God based on experience, what did Peter do? He said this is that what you're seeing here is that he interpreted scripture, what was written and what was prophesied in the book of Joel. And he said, what you're seeing here is a fulfillment of that. And that's why it's it's so important for us not to simply judge whether or not something is of God based on personal experience alone, because some of you by personal experience alone do not have the gift of tongues but you are born again and the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you see evidence of that and you know that God is alive and you love God and you have a heart for the things of God. Some of you by experience have prayed and God has given you this prayer language in which you're able to bypass your own understanding at times and your limited um, self and able to praise God in a way that That no one else can explain to you. And the way that that affects your life is something that you experience the closeness and the nearness of God. And two people that have different experiences can say, well, that's not of God to the other person. Instead of looking to scripture and realizing this is what scripture is teaching. Now some people, um, some people will will say, well, you know what, That that was just the book of Acts. That's what happened to them. In the first church as the as the Holy Spirit came upon the church at the beginning and they'll say that's just a description of what God had done in the book of Acts but realize that there are some scriptures that are descriptive and some that are prescriptive which means some are telling an account of what happened and some are specific letters to explain things and notice that in the book of first Corinthians Paul begins to explain these gifts to the church as though those things are happening and relevant for the church at that time. And that is prescriptive, not just descriptive. And in that portion of scripture that you, um, you could read in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you'll find that there are many diversities of gifts, but it is the same spirit who works all and in all and through us all for the edification of the body. And those gifts are exercised in a way in which it brings glory to God And it empowers us for service to be able to bless and reach out to others as well. So, as we consider this, um, again, it's going to be a two part study. What is the purpose of this then in mission? If the gift of speaking in tongues into this prayer language unto God, directed towards God, not towards people, how does that uh, prepare a person for mission? Maybe you say, I understand the linguistic gifting like Theo had, but what if someone just prays in this prayer language? How in the world does that um, help the mission? Because if if the baptism with the Holy Spirit will enable us to be witnesses, how does that enable someone to be a witness if it's directed towards God? Well, one of the ways is that God will sometimes, in a person's life, in different ways, speak to us In a way that we know that God is working and he's moving and he's real. He's working and he's moving and he's real. And for those of you that speak in tongues and have this prayer language under the Lord, you know that during those times you feel close to God. You know that during those times you sense God's presence. You know that God is real. And you know it's something that goes beyond your own understanding, beyond something that you would just develop. And, and another thing that is important to understand in this purpose in, in mission is that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, not a curse. There are those that teach that this is not of God. That they, There's those that teach that this is not um, something that God would do because they haven't seen it, they haven't experienced it. And they, they say that all the bad things in theology and in the church come from this. And notice that this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now... I can imagine some of you giving prank gifts, and I've gotten some at Christmas. We do gift exchanges sometimes. Ridiculous, ridiculous gifts. And sometimes people walk away with a gift, and they're kind of bummed that they got stuck with it. After all of the exchanges, they got stuck with this gift. No one that receives a gift of the Holy Spirit walks away saying, I got stuck with this one. This is, oh, God gave me this gift. And this is, oh, why did I get, look at him. He could do this. And look at her, she could do that. And look at me. This is what I could do. This is lame. No, God's gifts are good. And in the individual person, as God desi- decides which people get which gifts, there's an edification process and a blessing that comes from it. Now, cessationists believe that this gift ceased With the apostles, that's why they're called cessationalists, not sensationalists, because the gift ceased. If this gift ceased with the apostles, then why does Paul address it to the Corinthian church and tell the Corinthian church how they should respond and handle it? And Paul in 1 Corinthians says this gift is a blessing. He says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. He's thankful for it because it's a good thing. Let me end with this today because um, it's kind of just touching the surface. Three testimonies. The first testimony is a friend of mine who um, was a, a walking with the Lord as a believer, backslid, stopped following after God, really not, not rebellious. He didn't, he didn't like turn his back on God and say, I want nothing to do with you, but he just got busy. He started working a lot um pouring his life into his his corporate world and what happened was his wife left him and when his wife left him he was he was just broken he he came back to the lord came back to the church began to pray that god would do this restorative work in his life began to pray for his wife and he said that one day he was in his shower and he was weeping so that the the water from the shower was blending with his tears. And he said, there was so much pain from the loss of that relationship. He said, I just began to weep and I began to cry. And he said, in previous to this, I had never spoken in a prayer language. And something happened at that time in the shower as he's weeping over the loss of his wife and praying and doesn't, have you ever been in so much pain that you don't know what to say? You can't pray. It's like groanings. And all of a sudden, he just begins to pray in this prayer language and the peace of God just fills him. And he said, that was the first time that that ever happened to me. And from that time, there've been other times, but that was the initiation of that in my life. Now that is different than other people. And I want you to notice that, that sometimes the Holy Spirit works differently with some people than other people. Let me also share a radical change in views. The second testimony is, If you get a chance, go online, Calvary Chapel Modesto, listen to uh, Pastor Damian Kyle's teaching on the gift of tongues, incredible teaching. And he talked about growing up in a church of godly people that he loved. And he said they exemplified what it meant to be a body of Christ. They had so much love and so much of a heart for scripture. And yet in that church, they believed that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for example, this one particular had ceased. And there were some in the church that went so far as to say that those that practice this gift are of demonic influence. That was his background. That was his understanding. He began to go to a church, which was uh, a Calvary chapel. And as he was going to this church, and he loved it, and he loved how they would just go through the Bible and look down and they would read and then they would look up and the, the pastor would explain and then they would look down at the Bible and read some more verses and then they would look up and the pastor would explain and he said, I was just so blessed. It, was, it wasn't haphazard and all over the place. We were going through scripture. He goes, but then the pastor got to this scripture and he talked about how this was a gift for today and that some people today still have this spiritual gift. And he said, I was physically moved like ill And I wanted to get out of there and run and never come back to that place because of the background in which the church that I was brought up in. But then he said, I thought about it. And I thought, these are godly people like they were godly people at that other church. And they displayed the fruit of the Holy Spirit and love and joy and peace and peace, all these things just like that other church. And they were evangelistic just like that other church. But they can't both be right. And so what he sought to do was begin to study began to read the Bible, began to read the different authors on both sides of it and being open and saying, God, what do you have? And one night he had the courage to come up to the pastors of the church and say, could you just pray for me in regards to the Holy Spirit's relationship in my life, including the gift of tongues, if God would will to give that to me. And they gathered together and they prayed over him and he said nothing happened. And that he wasn't bummed, but he, he said he went home And he began to pray. And as he was praying, he was having this time of worship. And as he had this time of worship, he began to pray in a prayer language. And he said, and I still do that to this day. And he said, and I don't do it in public. And I do that in in, in private when I'm on my own. And even though there are some times when when it could be not just private prayer, it could be where there's an interpretation and someone else, you know, his own testimony, he said, it's just a private prayer language. And for him, The way that it affected him is he said, I I felt like I was always relying upon my own understanding. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says that we're not to, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And let me explain the gift of tongues this way, the way that I see it. Don't you want, there are times that I just, I want something in my life that doesn't originate with me, but originates with God. Because everything in my life is tainted by me. Everything in my life, it's tainted by, by me, by my own flesh, by my sin nature. There are times that I could do something in ministry to bless others, and in doing so, I start doing it not for them or for the Lord, but for me, because it feels good for me. There are times that I could share something with someone, and they're getting it, and, and they're growing, and, and, and it could become a pride thing for me. There could be a time when maybe, maybe you have a gift that you actually, maybe it's worship or singing, and, and some people look at you and all of a sudden it kind of gets to your head. And you don't want that to come from you. And this is an opportunity for something not to come from you. And I see that as a blessing. And I see it consistent with all of these different testimonies, whether it's Damien Kyle or my friend who had the testimony of, of going from weeping to glorifying God. Let me share with you a third testimony. Third testimony is this. Third testimony is a friend that always felt like he was not um, on par with the other Christians that he knew that were really godly and spiritual. He felt like the thing that was missing in his life was this gift of tongues. And if he had this gift of tongues, then it would be this thing that would give him this assurance that he was as spiritual or that God loved him or, or whatever. And, and let me tell you where, where he got to. He got to a place Whereas after studying scripture, he believes that it's a real gift. He believes that it's a gift for today. And he's okay saying, God, if you don't give that gift to me, I'm okay with that. And he is not any less spiritual or any less used of God. So he's not a dud. Remember I talked about the fireworks? You know, you light the fuse and then nothing happens. He's not a dud. And so I think the most important thing is this. We each desperately need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Every single one of us, whatever God would give to us, you know, Raul Reese, who asked for the gift of teaching because he, he knew that God was using him and he was just playing tapes for people. He was just playing Pastor Chuck Smith's cassette tapes. And then he went to Pastor Chuck saying, hey, I have a group of people that are gathering together and I just hit play. Do you think you could send a pastor out there to come and pastor that church? And Pastor Chuck said, why don't you teach them? He goes, what do you mean me? He said, open up the Bible, begin to teach them. So he began to pray for this gift of teaching and God has gifted him with the ability to teach the Bible to other people so that they understand and they grow. And let me say that the most important thing is that we desperately need the empowering of the Holy Spirit today. You know why? Because we have a great mission today to be witnesses. This this small sampling of Churches that gather together on Sundays and Christians that get together is a small portion, a small segment of the whole population in Santa Cruz County. From Aptos to Wattenville to Felton to Santa Cruz to Scotts Valley to all of these places. You look at your neighbors and it's a small sampling of those that are followers of Christ. You look at your school, there's a small sampling of followers of Christ You look at your workplace, there's a small sampling. We need everything in the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, to live it in our own lives, and then also to be effective when we share so that people listen. And there's a consistency between what we say and what we do. And can we not all agree to say, God, give me that baptism of your spirit. Fill me to overflowing so that in my life, there's a power that that affects the people that are around me. And you know what? The byproduct there's joy, there's blessing, there's all of these byproducts, but primarily this baptism is given so that we can be witnesses, so that we could say, hey, the resurrected Christ is real. He's real in the Bible, but he's also real in my life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we, um, we think about the disciples that gathered together, and they waited, and they They were in one place, and Lord, it says that they were in one accord. They they were together, and they were waiting for this promise that you said that you would give to them, this gift, this baptism with the Holy Spirit in fire. And Lord, after that, we don't see any other place in Scripture where there were um, tongues that, that were as of fire on each believer, we don't see any other place where there was the sound of the mighty rushing wind as they gathered together. But Lord, what we do see in scripture is that there are other places where you gave gifts and people spoke in tongues and people had gifts of exhortation or administration or, or teaching. And God, what we see in our own lives is a desperate need for your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, by faith, um, not by works, not by not by saying, Lord, that we deserve it, but Lord, just as an act of your grace. I just pray that you would baptize us, that you would fill each one of us. Lord, in the same way that they saw the tongues as of fire on each one, Lord, I, I pray for each person that is here that they would open up their heart to you. And let me just say as we're praying, if you don't know the Lord and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, this gift of the Holy Spirit happens as a result of being regenerated by the holy spirit being born again it's not enough to say i I study the bible i go to church it's something to say by faith I, i trust god and and god i i want you in my life and i believe that jesus died for my sins and if that's you i'm going to pray a prayer and i would just ask that you would pray right along with me and you would just pray this by faith father forgive me for my sins Lord, I I know that I have done things my own way. But I want to do things your way. And I want to experience your life in me. So I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. And I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And that you would help me to follow you. Lord, that you would give me strength. And Lord, the assurance that you love me and that you're with me in Jesus name and then for us as believers if you would pray by faith just for that fresh filling if you've never prayed for that then then may this be the first time and maybe maybe it's a time of dryness where you just need the Holy Spirit's work in your life and you would just be open to that and maybe it's a thing of not realizing the mission that is all around you and God wants to use you and he wants to Um, take your natural gifts and abilities and enhance them, but he may even want to give you supernatural gifts and abilities that you don't currently have. And if you would pray by faith, Lord, I want everything that your Holy Spirit has for my life. I, I want to know that there are things that don't originate from me. And I pray that as you fill me, that I would be empowered to be your witness however you would want to do that, including, Lord, if you would give me any giftings that I don't currently have. But Lord, in all of it, may you be glorified. And in all of it, may it be exercised in love and humility. So God, we thank you. We worship you. We thank you that you are a a giver of good things to your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.